Hello, it's Damien Barr here welcoming you to another Salon exclusive where you get to be the very first to hear about the books that we are most excited about. In today's episode, we are joined by Elodie Harper, author of The Wolf Den, which is a sensational work of historical fiction that's been talked about lots this year. Independent bookshops are selling lots and lots of copies. Now, when I say historical fiction, I mean deep history. We are going back here to first century Pompeii to meet a woman called Amara. Her father dies, which thrusts her into poverty. She is then living as an enslaved person and a sex worker in what is called the Wolf Den. She's there with mostly other women and they form a sort of sisterhood, which is what helps them resist the abuse and violence that they face. Their sisterhood is just so inspiring and there's loads of humour between these women too. So it's a dark story. It's got lots of light moments in it too. The Times have described it as vivid, wise and unflinching. Here is Elodie to fill you in on the historical background that inspired her novel. Hello, I'm Elodie Harper and I'm really delighted to be reading exclusively for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon from my new book, The Wolf Den. This reading is an extract from chapter 20. We're in the middle of the book, and this is a very rare day off for the five women from the brothel to go to the gladiator games at the arena. This really happened in the ancient Roman world. There would be set civic or religious celebrations and days off that applied even to enslaved people, an opportunity for them to have just a moment of freedom. Amara and her four friends from the brothel, Victoria, Cressa, Berenice and Dido, have all got up at dawn to be at the very front of the crowd when the gladiators process into the arena. Gladiators back then were rather like rock stars today. Other characters that are mentioned in the reading are Gallus, Berenice's boyfriend, Salvius, one of Amara's nicer customers, and Menander, the local potter's slave who Amara might be falling in love with and who she's arranged to meet today. I think the different women's personalities will be evident through the reading, but you might be interested to know that some of their names, Cressa, Berenice and Victoria, are all taken from names the real women who worked in Pompeii's actual brothel 2,000 years ago wrote on its walls. In particular, Victoria seems to have been quite a forceful woman and refers to herself as Victoria Victrix, that is, Victoria the Conqueress. The brothel in Pompeii is still there in a remarkable state of preservation and so is the women's graffiti. And visiting Pompeii, getting to know its buildings, its sites, its wonderful artwork was a huge inspiration for writing my book. And every chapter in my novel starts with a line from a Latin author or an extract of real ancient Pompeii graffiti. And in this case, the graffiti that starts the chapter is All the Girls Fancy Kelidus the Thracian gladiator. So, here's the reading. There he is! Victoria shrieks, it's Kelidus! Amara would never have heard her if Victoria were not yelling right beside her ear. The blast of the trumpets as the gladiators approach, the wall of sound from the crowd makes her feel as if her skull might split open. But at long last, their tedious wait has paid off. They are rammed in, right at the front, just by the amphitheatre entrance. Kelidus! Victoria screams. Kelidus! He cannot possibly have heard one scream above any other. And yet, at that moment, the Thracian giant turns as if impelled by the force of Victoria's will. 
He takes two strides towards them, lifts Victoria off her feet in a single sweep and kisses her. She is so astonished that for once she doesn't respond. The crowd around them erupts. Amara is smacked hard on the head by a girl wedged behind, thrusting her arms out, trying to grab at the gladiator's leather harness, touch his oiled chest. Calidus! Calidus! The gladiator sets Victoria down, says something in her ear, then rejoins the procession, waving both arms at the crowd. He would have kissed me! Berenice shouts at Amara. He would have kissed me if I'd been at the front! Her face is wild, almost unrecognisable in its rage and disappointment. Amara is glad Victoria cannot hear. Instead, she's standing uncharacteristically still, feet rooted exactly where Kelidus placed her, buffeted by the passing flow of people now cramming to get into the arena. Come on, Amara yells, grabbing her arm, or we won't get a seat. All five of them hold on to each other, clasping hands, grabbing one another's togas, anything to prevent themselves from being separated. They know their place at these games. They will have to climb all the way to the back row at the very top. It's a long queue. They join a slow-moving column of women, all waiting to sit wedged into the worst seats in the arena. Amara's legs feel like they might give way by the time they get to the top. The back row is filling up fast and there's a lot of irritable shuffling around until Cressa spots a spot where they might all be able to cram in together. After a heated exchange with another group of women, they finally manage to sit down, though as the slightest out of the five, Dido is forced to sit half-perched on Amara's knee. You have to tell us what Kelidus said, Amara says to Victoria, who has been resisting answering that question the whole way up the steps. Victoria smiles, enjoying the secret. Imagine what it would be like to have a man like that. Just imagine. Maybe he's nothing special, Berenice says. Might be a rubbish lay. Oh, don't be so bitter, Cressa laughs, as if you'd turn him down. I would. I would turn him down, Berenice insists. I wouldn't do that to Gallus. The rest of them laugh. Even I might be tempted by Kelidus, Dido says, and that's saying something. Oh, the feel of his chest, Victoria sighs, like being held by Apollo. Amara shifts on her wooden seat. Even though Dido isn't very heavy, it's still uncomfortably hot having her on her knee. Awnings are stretched overhead to keep the sun off, but they also trap the rising heat. Not only will they have the worst view, it's also sweltering up here. The murmur of so many people talking, reverberating around the arena, makes it sound as if they're in a beehive. What time are you meeting Menander? Dido asks her. After the first beast hunt. He must be something special, this boyfriend of yours, for you to miss the gladiators, Victoria says. He's not my boyfriend. Sorry, that's the ironmonger, isn't it? Amara rolls her eyes as they all laugh. She and Dido have only had three nights with Salvius and Priscus, but from the way Victoria teases her, it's as if she's embroiled in a breathless love affair. It gives her an odd feeling to think of Salvius now, when she is about to see Menander. Her intimacy with the widower has happened almost by accident, through the time they spend playing music together and his unexpected gentleness. But she never forgets that for all his kindness, he is a customer. It's Menander she's attracted to, could imagine loving even, although their relationship has consisted of little more than a few snatched moments and graffiti exchanges outside the sparrow. That's how she knows where to meet him. I will wait for you by the second gate, Timorete. May fortune smile on us both. She was the one who suggested the timing underneath, then she spent hours agonising over whether that looked too keen or too cool. Would it have been better to have suggested before the game started, 
or later, after one of the gladiator fights. Salvius is just a friend, she says. If he's just a friend, Victoria says, you wouldn't mind if he did a swap and had Dido next time, would you? Amara winces. He wouldn't do that. You don't like the idea, though, do you? I think of Priscus as my friend too, Dido says, coming to her rescue. They're just not like that, either of them. You'll be saying they're better lovers than Gallus next. Oh, fuck off, Berenice rounds on Victoria. Just because some gladiator kissed you doesn't mean you get to lord it over the rest of us all day like fucking Venus. One or two of the more respectable women sitting on the row in front shuffle disapprovingly, though none is brave enough to risk a direct confrontation with a gang of rowing whores. Just leave it, Cressa says wearily. She's only teasing. The sound of trumpets rings out and the murmuring hive subsides slightly, though not enough for the opening speeches to be heard clearly from the back. Amara thinks again of Fuscus, imagines how much he must have enjoyed his moment of glory last year. Perhaps he has brought his sons with him today, or would they be too young? She has never met them. Cheering and yelling from the crowd alerts them to the beast hunter's entrance. The three men hold their arms up to the crowd, enjoying the fame before facing the danger. Will that be Kelidus? Amara asks, unable to tell one fighter from another at this distance. He wouldn't do a beast hunt. Victoria is outraged. He's a combat gladiator. There's more screaming, a mixture of fear and excitement as the animals are released into the ring. The women jump to their feet to get a better view. What are they? Cressa asks, standing on tiptoe. I can't see. Tigers, Dido says. They've let loose tigers. Amara can see the beast circling, lean and hungry, while the men stand with their backs together in the centre of the arena. She has never seen a tiger before, but she's watched enough cats stalk their prey to recognise the low, slow prowl, muscles bunched, ready to spring. Berenice grabs her arm as the first attacks. It moves so fast she cannot imagine how any of the hunters have time to react, but one catches it with his spear and the animal shears off, limping and wounded. Another tiger charges and this time lands a blow, knocking a man to the ground. The yelling from the crowd is so intense, the action in the arena so frantic, she cannot work out what is happening. Beside her, Berenice is jumping up and down. Victoria is screaming and then she realises she is too, though she's not sure who she's shouting for, the men or the beasts. Even Dido is caught up in the hysteria, punching the air when one man saves another, leaping on the back of the attacking tiger as if it were a horse. The role of hunter and hunted switches back and forth. Sometimes the beasts are in retreat, sometimes the men. The skill of the fighters, the grace of the tigers, all of it punctuated by acts of savagery which make Amara gasp. She keeps watching, unable to look away until the last tiger has been slaughtered. Their bodies are dragged from the arena, leaving thick red trails in the sand. One of the men is taken off too, his chest covered in blood from a shoulder wound. The remaining two hunters stand together, throwing their arms up to receive the adulation of the crowds. Doubt the injured one will make it, Victoria says, raising her voice above the din. That tiger practically had his arm off. Will they replace him, Dido asks, or will the next fight just have two hunters? They usually replace them if it's this early, otherwise the hunt doesn't last long, Cressa says. A few women are getting up, making use of the break to go to the latrine. I think I'd better go, Amara says. Don't break the ironmonger's heart, Victoria replies. Dido squeezes her arm. Good luck. Amara's own heart is thumping with nerves as she makes her way down the outside steps of the arena. 
What if Menander misunderstood and thought she meant the end of all the beast hunts? What if he doesn't come? She walks quickly to the gate where they have arranged to meet and can see, even from a distance, that he is already waiting for her. Then they are standing together and nothing else matters. Thank you so much for that brilliant reading, Elodie. The Wolf Den is, as I said, the first in a trilogy, so we've got more to look forward to from Elodie, and I am very much looking forward to the next instalment. I think it's going to do really well. The Wolf Den is published by one of our favourite presses, Head of Zeus, and it's available now in all good bookshops. Your local indie will be shifting lots of copies, so pop in and grab a copy from them, or you can get it from our bookshop on bookshop.org, where we've got lists of loads of books by our favourite authors, and they're organised by theme too, so you'll be filling your trolley, basically. It is a pleasure, as always, and a privilege to be in your ears. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. Happy reading and join us again soon.